Hello and welcome to The Writer's Mindset with me, Christina Adams. And me, Ellie Betts. Each week we're here to help you persevere through the tough times, be your most productive self and get that work in progress published. Wherever you are in your publishing journey, we've got your back. This week we are talking to Gail Carragher about analytics for authors, but in a non-scary way, I promise. There's no such thing you're completely making it up, Ellie Goley Bright. There is a such thing. I promise you everything's going to be fine in Gail's very capable hands. Okay, I I will admit Gail is capable. That's as far as I'm going. I don't (laughs) think numbers are not scary ever. Big shout out to our podcast patrons for all of your support. As a patron, you'll get early access to episodes, the chance to submit questions for our guests, and access to our bonus series, Healthy Habits. Healthy Habits isn't your typical productivity advice. We're not here to tell you to get up at 4am and go for a three-hour run. Hell no. We're exploring the latest research to find small changes you can make in your life to be happier, healthier, and more productive in your writing life and beyond. To start developing healthier habits today, Come join our community at patreon.com forward slash writers mindset. If you haven't checked out part one of this interview yet, the second half may not make as much sense. Part one is out now wherever you listen to podcasts and also available on YouTube. So I would highly advise checking that out first before you dive into this episode. If you've got any questions on analytics for authors or anything else that Gail mentioned, please do leave a comment on youtube or come over to our facebook group and we will do our best to answer your questions i am certain that all of our listeners are converts to tracking all of this data now (laughs) in which case then obviously we're gonna have some of our listeners who have never done any of this before what would be your advice on where to start you know what would you suggest to someone who's completely new to tracking um, so like I said, like focus on those ones that are like they come kind of established with the with the platform that you're already on, like your WordPress, your Google, you're on Google, whether you like it or not, um, and Amazon and places like that. Um, and there's lots of really good if if you're a YouTube person, there's good YouTube videos that will teach you how to access this stuff and how to think about it and, and stuff like that. Um, there are blog posts so on and so forth. So there's definitely lots of great resources out there to get you started. Like I said, there are four author forums and discussion groups where if you want an aggregator that's going to do a lot of this for you, that's sort of more plug and chug, you can look into that as well. And and then I guess the other thing I would say is um, when you're doing that kind of preliminary research to decide how you're going to set it up and where you want to start, that just like Think about the person whose advice you're taking. So the reason that I keep codiciling what I say is that my perspective is very much my perspective and other people who teach about this are going to be the same. So if the person who's teaching about it is exclusive to KU, they're going to have a different perspective on what data needs to be acquired. So like you, you do have to think about um, the agent of trust whose advice you are taking. So, you know, that's just a little caution So for example, one of the questions I often ask with author gurus in particular is, are they actually selling well in fiction or are they actually making the bulk of their money on educating authors, which is technically nonfiction? So that's (laughs) kind of something to think about. Um, And what, you know, what is their approach? And also what counts as good numbers for them so that you can like, 
for example, and, and I have a unique perspective on this, which is I know my own numbers and what's good for me and what's a good sales month for me and a not so good sales month for me. And that means it's not really worth it for me to take advice from an author who sell, sells less well than I do, because their tactics are obviously something I'm probably already employing or um, or not germane to my career. So yeah, that's that's like one thing. The other thing I would say is even if you're at the very beginning of your career, getting these systems in place and really thinking about it early on, at least the, a few of them, it's a little bit like getting a newsletter started early in that the habit that you're building for yourself as a career author is almost more important than the data you're actually collecting because you're going to train yourself to know what's normal for you. And this is a mistake that a lot of authors who advertise make, which is they don't know what their flatline is or their baseline or their clean catch or whatever scientific term <laughs> term you want to use. They don't know what their organic, normal, everyday sales are like without advertising. And it's really important that you know that so that you know when you do something, if it's effective or not, <laughs> right? So like, I know exactly how much I sell in on a weekly basis, just on my backlist without doing anything at all, without a launch, et cetera, et cetera, which is how I can confidently say a truth, which is universally acknowledged, which is when you have a new book out, the long tail effect on all of your other books in that series is profound. So the newest book is the most powerful promotional tool that you have because yeah, I watch that new book in the series spike and then I watch all of the spikes in any other books that are in that series. And the only way I can confidently say I get triple sales on the second book in the series or whatever is because I know what my baseline sales are. <laughs> and so if you're going to do something like I was talking about where you track a launch on different social media platforms, you need to know what your average sales are in a pre-order before you know whether you have a spike or not. So I run data on BookBub offers a paid sales promotion on the pre-order of a new book. Now they already will send out a new release information to your followers on BookBub, but they also offer you the author the option of paying to reach those people ahead of time. And I was like, well, let's see if that's actually effective or if I'm already catching those people via the freebie that BookBub does for me. Um, and it turns out that like calculation, calculation, but it turns out that if my book is priced $4.99 or higher, it makes sense for me to pay for that pre-order email. But if it's lower than $4.99, it doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, I don't I don't recoup my losses on a, within the BookBub ecosystem. Another great, like, I, I just love this stuff so much. But another great thing is I have done and always do encourage during my offboarding process of or unsubscribe process of my newsletter, people who just want new release information to either follow me on Amazon or follow me on BookBub. And that's because those two vendors send out uh, new release info. So essentially they do it for me because I don't offer that to my newsletter. I don't offer the option of just joining and only getting new release info. You either join for my monthly newsletter or you don't. And if you join for my monthly newsletter, you get the new release info. But if you just want that for me, you can go follow me on Amazon. You can go follow me on BookBub. And that's because there are always going to be people who hate newsletters and you want them to know about your new books no matter what, right? <laughs> so if they're not going to be part of your newsletter, just try and keep them and if you have to farm them out to a second party or a middleman, 
fine. Uh, but another reason for this is it means that for ever since I joined Author Central, which I mean, I guess, and BookBub, which would be 2016, ever since then, I've been directing anybody who I can't catch onto my newsletter to those two venues in every part of social media, my website, offboarding process, everything, which means I have about, say, 5,000, 6,000 maybe followers on BookBub. But Amazon, because it's Amazon, doesn't tell me how many followers I have. But both of these vendors send out pre-order or, or uh, new book release in, or right. Uh, but they also send out pre-order releases. So Amazon does it automatically for if you're above a certain number of followers, we think. And sometime within the two week window before your book comes out, we think. <laughs> Why is it going to be so secretive? Why is it all smoke and mirrors? Just I know, they tell don't people want what's going on. I know. I know. Um, but by running a couple of BookBub pre-orders that I could track using all of my sneaky methods, I've been able to calculate the percentage of the people who follow me on BookBub who actually buy off a pre-order. Um, and that's just very, like, I know, like, many authors, like, don't really care about this kind of thing. But this is very interesting data for me to have. And I'm like, yes, I actually know about how many Amazon followers I have. And that's not information that Amazon is willing to give me. But I'm pretty confident I know about how many it is. Um, that's excellent. That's... You're taking the power back from them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're not going to tell me, but I'm going to figure it out anyway. <laughs> mm. Shouldn't have to, but you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What would you say to someone who kind of is feeling like, yeah, okay, I really want to do this, but this is, do you know what? I'm shitting a brick right now. I'm absolutely <laughs> terrified. Like, what would be your tips for someone who's just feeling a little bit scared of the concept of bringing in something very technical and logical in what is often seen as a very creative career path? I think, I mean, this is hard for me to talk to. Um, it's a little because I'm I'm I've described myself as one of those weird uh people who has a muse but she's in a very tidy box like I'm very I'm like the weird thing that happens when a scientist becomes a creative right um I exist in this social science sphere which allows me to be this aggregate of of a humanities and a scientist type um so it's very natural for me to systemize but like the fact is especially if you're going to do indie in any way you have to learn systems like you're going to be inputting data to a vendor even if you're just using Amazon you have to figure out Amazon categories and keywords you're going to like and this uh, yes those are verbs but really they're they're bits of information that you're inputting and and using numbers is is just like bits of information being inputted it's it's not that different so in a way it's kind of like a necessary evil um the other thing to realize is um if this makes you comforted is it's just it applies to you like you don't have to share it with anybody. You don't have to get it right or wrong. It's just a process of learning it until it becomes useful to you or not. It may not be useful to you and you may not like it and you may not never want to use it. Uh, but that just means that your time online or whatever it is you're trying to understand about your life is going to be less efficiently spent. And if you're okay with that, that's fine. Like if you're somebody who is on Twitter just because you enjoy Twitter, then it doesn't really matter. Uh, 
whether it's effective for your career or not. This is not a life or death situation. It's just very useful information to have if you want to have it and can learn about it. But yeah, and, and it, it's mostly just like to as a time saving and money saving technique. Um, and just to understand, uh, you know, when other people tell you to do something or give you pieces of advice about your career, whether it's actually going to work for, for your particular life state. But if you're the kind of person who likes to just go ahead and try it anyway, and if you don't mind throwing money at something for a little while to see if it, it feels like it's working for you or not, um, then you, you can go ahead and do that. It's, it's your money and it's your career. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think you can tell I just get bushy-tailed and bright-eyed about the idea of like really understanding it and really hacking it for myself, but it, and and then being able to like challenge accepted notions of what's effective within when other people are talking about it because I I have the data to back it up, right? And it's only data on my own career, but it's still data, and that's kind of more where I am, uh, kind of creatively with it uh, than anything else. Uh, but but like anything statistically relatable, you know, it can be hacked and converted and made to look good and 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 made to give the wrong information. That's the nature of stats. Never trust a statistician that has a perspective. <laughs> I think also no one cares as much about your books as you do. No one will ever care as much, no matter how much they love you. So true. Like it, yeah. it is. That's that's the hard honest truth. Um, yeah. I, I, or I, and your career. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I have talked about this and, uh, I, in fact, I've done this on panels where I've slammed my hand on tables. Um, I, I hate to tell this to you, um, little baby authors out there, but no one's on your side. <laughs> like everyone is out to make money off of you, even your editor and your agent. And, uh, you have to protect yourself. And like the numbers are one other way you protect yourself because you know what's working and what isn't working. And you don't have to trust them to tell you what's working or what isn't working. Um, you know, like, like I'll give you a really good example is uh, traditionally published authors are still put on blog tour. And, and I will talk to some of my trad friends and just be like, wait, how many blog posts did you have to write about your book? Because that's all writing that they should be paid to do but it was writing for promotion and i get that but my first question is like well how many books did you sell like how many pre-orders did you get from that blog post that you did that you provided content for another blog like and did you have a codicil that allowed you to own that content that you wrote and republish it say on your own blog to Pinterest, to all of these other places where you could have used it to redirect traffic at least back to your website and onto your newsletter, if nothing else. But like just changing your brain to be like, I spent an hour writing and editing this blog post, which I could have spent writing. Was it actually effective? And sure, your publisher is going to tell you that it's effective and the host blog venue is going to tell you that it's effective but uh that's just because it was something they didn't have to create right they made you create it and there's a very good possibility that you entirely wasted your time doing that thing um because uh because yeah so like i will do something like uh sure i'll write a blog post for you or you know do an advertising thing or whatever but either i have the tracking code for the sales for that and it's fine with me if you want to use your affiliate codes or whatever, but I still get to track it. 
via my website or, and, and you'll just give me your the affiliate code links or what have you. Or I get entire access to that content to repurpose. Uh, because for me, because I'm, I'm very good at like figuring out how to util- reutilize my content, like that's often even more effective than the blog post. Blog post just spearheaded me to write marketing copy basically. Now, how can I use that marketing copy? But I very rarely do guest blogging anymore. But yeah, I mean, like even if you're, so what I'm saying is even if your publisher is like making you do it, like really think about whether it's an effective use of your time. Yeah, I've heard very mixed things about blog tours these days. It seems to be, from what I can gather, genre specific, but I don't know how recent that um, is because I don't know any authors who do them. Yeah, it's really kind of one of those things that trad authors do a lot of. And um, and I'm just like, I just don't, I haven't done it in so many years that I'm like, I just don't, I just, I personally just don't believe that it's effective, but I have would have to do one and track it to find out whether it is effective. And um, yeah, I mean, my temptation is to say, newer authors newer genres introducing yourself to a a blog that specifically focuses on that genre might be good but you know ask that blog how many eyeballs it has how many readers it gets what its average click through is on other blogs of this type those kinds of questions so you know whether they are tracking their effectiveness and <laughs> whether you think it would be for you and I know that's a weird thing to do because, um, you know, sometimes we're often so grateful as authors to get the option of like, oh my God, you know, but it might not be really worth it. Um, I, I suspect blog tours, I should say at this point. <laughs> Is it ever too late in someone's career for them to start implementing this tracking? No. Um, yeah, that's an easy answer. No. Uh, and, you know, if you're overwhelmed by the options, just start with one. Just start with the bit of information you're the most interested in at the moment. So like if you're a traditionally published author who's been publishing for a decade and and maybe you've been blogging also for over a decade, perhaps you should be tracking your blog numbers to see how many people are visiting, how many sales you get off of a blog post, that kind of information. Um, If you're like a trad author, I'm writing a nonfiction book right now, which is for traditionally published authors who are interested in transitioning to self-publishing. And I'm like, the the thing you need to implement and track, as far as I'm concerned, the most is your newsletter. So, you know, that's the thing that I would get familiar with and set up first if you're starting out or even if you're mid-career. Like if even if you have an incredibly impactful newsletter and it's really, really effective, start tracking what's going on inside that newsletter. So start using redirect links on the links within your newsletter. Start doing things which you might maybe not think about. Like if you have images in your newsletter, there should be links in those images which are tracked separately. They're an image link from a book link, which will let you know if it's worth it to put those images into your newsletter because images can damage open rates and stuff like that. I think, I'm not sure on that one. I haven't delved into the data. Newsletter data can be very difficult to access. Yeah, I I heard something interesting the other day, actually. I think it was in the Newsletter Ninja Facebook group. And someone asked about, you know, um, newsletter software automatically includes social media icons and you put your links in. And someone asked, like, will I get penalized for this? And a lot of people said yes. I don't agree with including them, uh, actually. I would argue that you shouldn't have them anyway. Why do you want people to leave your newsletter and follow you on social media? That seems like a 
terrible idea because you're moving eyeballs you control into a sphere where you could be shut down at any second, right? Facebook can cook you, kick you off in a red hot minute. So can Twitter. You don't want to offboard to social media. You, you, that's, that's, mm. <laughs> I'm like, no, don't do that. Um, so yeah, I've removed them from everywhere. I've removed them from back of book. That's a lot of information we've covered, which is I know. amazing. Um, <laughs> what would you say to someone though, who thinks that they can accurately track their success with these various different things just in their head without, without tracking it on your magical spreadsheets, as you mentioned? Well, I think, like I said, uh, you're biased. So one of the things that data collection tells us is where our biases lie. Um, and biases, including how we as authors are biased in favor of certain platforms as effective for us or not, that kind of thing. And the only way to access your own biases and know whether you're correct or not in how you're effectively spending your time and your creative energy is to accurately track it. Um, you know, so I might like uh, Twitter a lot and enjoy playing there, which I certainly have done in the past, but that might bias me towards thinking it's actually an effective platform for me when in the end it turns out for me that it absolutely was not. Um, and, and then, so this is why you kind of like need your baseline because your baseline is giving you information not only on your demographics and your analytics, but also on your own, um, how your own opinions about these things have influenced you. Now, I, I will say with social media in particular that like the primary reason to have these two out the, the T part of want, the two places where you play on social media, is that they do act as kind of conduits to get people towards your website and, and, and testing grounds and stuff like that. And so I tend to advise that you pick social media platforms that you do actually enjoy using because you need to be on them and using them and engaging with them in order to have them be an effective test ground <laughs> and a fertile test ground. So if video and TikTok is your jam, then like freaking play on TikTok, like go to it. You know, just use your redirection every time there's a link going. It, Instagram, whatever it is you like. The most important thing with us introverted authors by and large is to make sure we actually do the thing. So <laughs> hacking your own personality is the first thing. Data can help you hack your own biases, but you don't have data if you're not actually creating it <laughs> somewhere, right? So like, like the first responsibility of an author is to write the next book, is to get the next actual piece of content that you want to be your livelihood out in the world that is the best thing for tracking, right? That is the best data you can have. Uh, so yeah, so that's important. But also, like, if you are somebody who's a little bit ooh shiny like me and likes to experiment with, with all the new platforms and investigate the new things, then actually tracking your data in all these different spaces can tell you where better to focus your time if you're, if you're a little loosey-goosey, which, which I am. Um, so like, I genuinely enjoy a lot of social media. I know that's a terrible confession to make, but I do like it. Uh, I like my fans a lot. Like they're my people. I would go shopping with them. I know we would hang out. We have hung out. Um, like they're great. I like hanging out with them wherever they exist on the internet. Um, so I could and have spent like all day on social media. So one of my reasons for tracking data is to stop myself from doing that and actually write. Because again, like many writers, I'll do anything not to write. And I need to track data so I don't have the excuse. <laughs> like, no, I don't get to check Twitter because guess what? Twitter doesn't work for me. So <laughs> uh, I should sit down and type. <laughs> 
It's a very diplomatic answer. I would have gone way harsher and just said, there's no fucking way you can remember all of it. Write it yeah. down. Uh- <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's very, very true. Um, but yeah, I mean, like tracking your data can help you decide. Like I have a whole list of things here. Um, it, it helps you know your baseline before you start any kind of campaign, whether that's a launch campaign or an advertisement campaign. So like that's one reason to do it. It helps you decide whether to make a pivot or a change. Like you can use data tracking to see whether your existing audience, if you have one, is really willing to follow you when you try a new genre, for example, or how much work it's going to be to get them to try a new genre, how experimental. Like if you're like me, I love experimenting with things. So like um, I always take, especially in the indie sphere and especially Amazon doing something crazy as an excuse to see how I can pivot. So Amazon decides it's going to delay audiobooks in the middle of lockdown for what was it like half a year, six months, eight months for some of us. So you would upload an audiobook and it would just not go live for months. And so what do I do? I go look at Amazon's terms of service and it turns out that you're only exclusive to them when it's up. So I'm like, it's not up yet. I'm not exclusive. What am I going to do? I'm going to directly sell the MP3 of my audiobook as a newsletter exclusive until Amazon posts it live. So it's like a magic. This can end at any time. Uh, but until then, you can buy the audio. If you're an audiobook person, you can buy and own the audiobook assets. And Audible subscribers in particular love this because they don't feel like they own those assets. And they feel like Amazon can take them away from them at any time because Amazon has done this to them. And so they're like, su- my super fans at least are really excited to actually own the audiobook. Um, so I just did that during this one phase. And it was wildly successful. And I'm charging full price for the audiobook. I mean, they're expensive to produce. So it's, you know, like 15 bucks or whatever it is for a full book. But my super fans are just delighted. So now, two weeks before I post an audiobook onto Amazon, it sells exclusively for my newsletter for that window of time. You have to be on the newsletter. You never know when it's going to happen. But suddenly they'll just be gals like, oh, you want the MP3s? They're on sale until this date and then i'm posting it to amazon and then it's exclusive to amazon for seven years uh so jump on it while you can um that kind of thing um so like me being willing to experiment was just a fun thing that has been trained into me but and here's the data it did not impact my audible sales at all not slightly not even slightly and so i went and asked my audience and uh, most of my audiobook people were just like, yeah, I bought it, but then I also listened to it, to it on Audible. So I also spent my Audible chips on it because I'm already in that ecosystem and I just wanted to listen to it that way. But I just delighted that I own it so that, you know, if anything ever goes wrong, I still have it. Um, and that's because, you know, I have a great track record with audiobooks. I have multiples out there. They trust me, all of those sorts of things. But also I was like, oh, so basically you buy it twice. Um, and that sort of has to do with the psychology of subscription services as well. When people are in subscription services, they think of the product as kind of free and forget that they're paying for it in a different way. But yeah, so that was revelatory. And uh, and it just caused me to you know pivot and change my business model. Um, so you know that's the other thing that data allows you. It, uh, data allows you to take experiments and pivots and risks and all of these words that... Um, businesses use all the time uh, 
but really be able to track whether it's effective or not. I love it. That's genius. Overcoming the bullshittery and making <laughs> it work for you. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's so much fun now. So like whenever something goes wrong, I'm like, ooh, uh, like what does this say about the industry? How can I like try an experimental project to see, to see, you know, how much of an impact it's going to have on my career, et cetera. So for example, like, again, we're, this is a very long conversation, but um, we haven't really talked about advertising, but I, for example, am more likely to um, use advertising at this juncture to test what's effective in selling my backlist. So rather than a front list thing. So I, because I believe in this sort of clean catch idea of like really having a baseline and then testing things off of that baseline, that means I need to know the baseline, which means I'm mostly working off of my backlist because I know the baseline of my backlist books very, very well. So when I do promotions or whatever, it's usually backlist, first in series, that kind of thing. But I also never do stacked promotions. And I understand stacking promotions is a huge thing for a lot of indie authors. But for me, I can't track it well enough. So I'm just don't do it. Like, <laughs> so like, that's another like, I also rarely do advertising on a launch. Because again, I can't track my organic launch sales if I'm advertising on that launch. Um, this is something that like, if it were the third book in a series or something, I might consider and I were rapid releasing that book or, you know, that I had other comparisons that had come prior to to deal with but um but generally speaking so you know some other uh, big data collector type authors advice on things like stacking promo promos and stuff like that i don't give that advice which doesn't mean it's not good advice it just means that like i like to track so much that it actually influences what career risks i will take so that i mean guess i guess that's just a a warning to um say uh, and and the other thing is um, because I'm so multifaceted in onboarding to my newsletter. So I have like the usual things that everybody has for a newsletter, like a freebie or bait or exclusives or whatever. But I also do a lot of like a goodie box, which is just one box, but it's random number generated to anybody who wants to try out the box. And it will be full of tea and fun things and assigned multiple signed books and stuff like that. But I will track how effective those kinds of things are at getting people on to my newsletter, um, which is how I know I should keep doing them. Because it turns out that as effective as something like a perennial freebie or bait can be, um, actually a one-off big ticket physical item uh, works a lot better on my base in, in getting people signed up. Um, and also encouraging my existing subscribers to talk about secret bits of information that are included in the newsletter on social media. So on Twitter, or more importantly for me on my Facebook group, um, that gets FOMO like a, like crazy. Um, and then I onboard a bunch of new signups as well. And again, I learn all of this from tracking. <laughs> well, it's safe to say you are a genius, Gail. Um, <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> we do save the most important question to last, but you've already been here before, mm. so we can't ask you which book changed your life. Yeah. Um, we changed it slightly this time, and we want to know which data source changed your life. What was the most pivotal for your career? That's really hard because I came into being a career author kind of with this skill set in play. And I understand that. Like, like I understand I have an advantage from my 
previous career. And so, you know, I was already inclined to look at things like Facebook analytics or what have you. Um, but I, I actually, this is a weird one, but I, I think I will say Facebook analytics because they're constantly changing it, which is very annoying. But um, learning to interface with it via my page um, was so effective for me to to see when they made a change, the negative impact it had on on my reach, on my sales, on all of these things. And like that, for me, that was very educational in how a social media platform or a middleman, which is what they are for us, they're middlemen for, they're a funnel through which we are attempting to reach our readers, can really detrimentally impact you. And because I come from trad, I didn't have like Amazon data and all that sort of thing at first. So I was mostly working with social media data. Um, and so Facebook Zero was really profound for me when that was instituted. I can't remember when that was. I feel like it was 2017, 2018, maybe. That was a huge thing where I was like, oh, they made one tweak to their algorithm and just I watched my posts and interactions and comments just tank. And I could just from one that. small little tweak they made, just from one tweak that they made. And I was like, oh, oh that's the power is amazing. And that really showed me kind of just how important it is to look at those analytics. And because that was the moment I was like, oh, I don't need to spend time on my page. Like spending time on my page is now a waste of my time. Like Facebook has effectively made it that way. So I'm going to pivot and spend time on my group. And then Facebook has been recently really upping how much they promo groups because they're preparing to advertise to them. So they want them to be little ecospheres. Uh, but in my case, it's been great. Uh, my group has been going gangbusters. It's now 40,000 strong, which makes it a very That's fertile testing ground. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. But not all of them are my actual readers. It's just that that group is really active and they talk about fun things that connect to my book. But I am starting to see people join the group and then buy my books because they're like, wait, there's an author connected to this. And I'm like, oh, look at you little group being effective. So that's an interesting, you know, pivot to watch occur. But yeah, so for me, it was Facebook analytics. And it was Facebook analytics that encouraged me to look into Google analytics and my website and to really think about how that fits. And then because of that, I started to pay very much more close attention to my newsletter and because I got so scared about how Facebook could just throttle me like that, um, that's when I really started to like activate my newsletter in a big way. I was really late to the newsletter game, um, which I think a lot of traditional authors are. It's my great regret. Uh, but um, but yeah, so I, I, it was kind of, for me, it was sort of a moment where I realized that this skill set I had was actually really germane to my current career and existence in a way that I hadn't really thought about and could maybe turn to my advantage. <laughs> um, but I will say you you have um, which data, you said which data source changed your life. Um, and I would say the tool that did it was WordPress's redirection, which I mentioned. We'll before. go with tool then, because that was actually yeah. not what I expected you to say. I thought you were going to go yeah. back to the redirection thing that you were talking about yeah. WordPress, because that's yeah. obviously made such a difference. But Yeah, the thing that made me rethink data in general as applied to being an author was that moment with Facebook. Um, yeah. But the tool that's been the most impactful in a positive way on my life in general is the redirection plugin. Fantastic.
Where can our lovely listeners go then if they want to find out a bit more about you, maybe fangirl over some <laughs> analytics? If I haven't scared, terrified you and scared you away, um, I should say that like one of the things that all of this data has taught me, um, and also it's it's kind of my native personality anyway, is that uh, when I am on social media and I am interacting in general with the greater public, it is with my readers. So everything has a point of view for my readers. I very rarely do blog posts or talk specifically about the author business side of the equation. I absolutely will do that when I do like presentations at conferences or for writers groups and stuff like that. Um, I love to teach the business side of writing, but my author brand, for lack of a better term, does not really encompass that. Um, so there's a little corner of my website which has nonfiction, and uh, I have the one, The Heroine's Journey, which is a sort of craft narrative structure book, um, and then I'm, I'm working on, on a new book which is more for the business side of the equation, um, but neither of these really talk about this aspect. So yeah, I have some, I do have a resources tab, which basically has links to different tools that I find really effective, things like the blog post about redirection. Occasionally, I will feel compelled to post about something that no one else is talking about, <laughs> because I just need to point other authors at a place on the internet, which is often how I use my blog. So I do have some resources. So if you go to my website and you go to, there's a there's a drop down that basically has my resources in it. So um, if you're a newer author, there's a bunch for you. And if you're, you're a more established author, there's a bunch for you there as well. So that's where I would say to go. Um, as I continue with this new book I'm writing, there's going to be a lot more resources because one of the things that book has is a lot of resources and tool testing and stuff. Um, so accidentally on purpose, there will be more. Uh, but at the moment, that's the best thing to do. Um, however, you are absolutely welcome to do things like subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on social media or whatever if you'd like to see how I'm doing it and what I'm doing. Um, if you would like to see my crafty little uh, surveys that get dropped on occasion. Um, I have to say I'm very like open with my readers about this kind of thing where I'll just be like, look, I'm considering doing this thing and I just want your opinions on it for gathering survey data. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, they're kind of used to me at this juncture. But all of this is galecarriger.com. So that's where you go for everything. And I hope you find something useful and helpful. And I really hope I haven't totally overwhelmed everybody. But I trust, like, it really can be very fun. Like, <laughs> it's really so interesting to actually delve into what is working about how you run your own career and what isn't working. Um, and it really can help you make smart choices, which... I hope all of us want to be able to make about our careers. I'm sure. I'm sure we do. And I know that they'll find amazing resources on your website. So we will <laughs> definitely be including that in the show notes for you. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Gail. It's been absolutely incredible amount of information you've shared. I can't believe we just went through all of that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for inviting me, which was really me. We didn't say this at the beginning, but I basically was, I basically pressed that to letting me come on. I was like, please let me talk about this. I, I mean, love it. It didn't so take 
didn't take that much persuasion. We we mentioned in an episode we wanted to talk about it, and then you were like, "Hi, I'll talk about it. Look at all of these things. I know all of that." So yeah, we were like, "Oh my god, girl wants to come back." Yes. Um, so Anytime. it was an easy decision. <laughs> thank you so so much, girl. Thank you so much for letting me. Um, I never get to talk like this, and it 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 really is uh, very near and dear to my heart. So oh. it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. If you found this episode interesting or helpful, make sure you subscribe to The Writer's Mindset on YouTube or your favourite podcast platform. Or all of them, we don't mind. Everything from a like to a rating to a review to a subscribe to shouting about us on social media helps us to reach more writers so that they can overcome the mindset issues that are holding them back with their writing too. If you're on social media, come join us on Instagram at Writer's Mindset Pod. Or join our Facebook group, which you can find by searching for The Writer's Mindset. And don't forget to come join us over on Patreon for our bonus series, Healthy Habits. See you next time. Keep writing! Keep writing.